Welcome to the Mind and Body Strong podcast, a place for women to redefine their relationship with food and their body, tune into their inner wisdom, and become the best version of themselves. My name is Katie Pijanowski, and I'm an anti-diet and body image coach, certified personal trainer, and lover of all things travel, brunch, and personal growth. Join us each week as we share insightful conversations with guest experts, along with my own personal stories and teachings that aim to help you reconnect your mind, body, and spirit while releasing old beliefs, dogma, and expectations that no longer serve you. Each episode is packed with nuggets of wisdom that are sure to leave you feeling inspired, challenged, and empowered to take action in your own life. Shy away from tough topics? No way. In this space, we welcome things including mental health, sex, diversity, eating disorders, weight stigma, and all that comes with having a human experience. I'm so excited to have you on this journey with me, so grab a notebook, pen, and some headphones, and let's dive in. my friends. Welcome back to the Mind and Body Strong podcast. Before I get into introducing my super amazing guests and our incredible conversation that we have today, I wanted to share with you that today is the very last day to sign up for my body image workshop. This is happening tonight. If you're listening to this, the day that this episode is released, Wednesday, January 19th, this workshop is going to be virtual. It's at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. It's the body image workshop three hacks to improve your body image today. This is a really, really important workshop for any of you out there who might find that very hard to accept your body, maybe even after the holidays, maybe you've struggled with this for a really long time like I have. And what I'm going to be providing for you in this very short 45-minute workshop is three simple steps in which you can improve your body image today that actually require nothing about changing your body. You literally don't have to lose a single pound. So this is so, so important right now as the diet culture industries are just inundating us with all of this messaging about how we need to change our bodies. And I am here to shift that narrative. I am here to give you the resources, the tools in the community in order to break through that narrative and to recognize your true strength right now and give you the tools to do so. So the link to register for that workshop is going to be listed in the description here on my bio. So make sure, or the description of the podcast rather. So make sure that you go ahead and register for that immediately. And if you can't make this one, if you're listening to this at a later date, I will be hosting these monthly. So make sure to check out and follow me on social media on Instagram at Katie Pijanowski so you can find out when further workshops will be happening. So with that said, I want to go ahead and introduce my incredible guest today, which is Morgan Beard. So Morgan and I were just connected through a mutual friend of ours who introduced us, and I loved her background. I loved her bio. I loved her ability to speak on depression and overcoming depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. So trigger warning for those of you out there who might be experiencing any kind of suicidal thoughts, or maybe that's just not something you need to be listening to right now. Trigger warning, we do talk a little bit about that. So just want to put that out there for you. But Morgan Beard has dedicated her life to using creativity to heal and empower. Managing depression and anxiety since the age of 13 made personal development a non-negotiable for Morgan. She received her BA in visual and media studies from Duke University in 2012 
and her MPS in art therapy from the School of Visual Arts in New York City in 2017. As an art therapist in New York, she worked in a public elementary school, an adult inpatient psychiatric unit, in a 183-bed nursing home. Her life came to a screeching halt after burning out in pursuit of licensure and entering another major depressive episode. Focused for the first time on her own happiness, Morgan moved across country and started over in Los Angeles. She began building her life coaching business, working with individuals to create holistically fulfilling lives and families to increase communication and harmony. This gave her the confidence to embrace her earliest passion for singing and make music to help people move. I am just so inspired by everything we talk about in this conversation. She gives really, really imperative information on how to just really speak to those who might be experiencing depression, anxiety, maybe suicidal thoughts. She also speaks to those people who might have loved ones who are going through this and how to help them best to support that person who might be experiencing this. She gives some incredible advice. You're definitely going to break out a pen and paper to write some notes. I was furiously writing notes as I was talking to her during this episode. So you're definitely going to want to listen to that. And she shares so many valuable stories and just tools that she's been able to come across in her own experience of her life and just going through her own experience as well as working with clients in many different forms. And I'm just so excited for you to be able to listen to her story today and take lots and lots of really great nuggets from this episode today. So let's jump in to Morgan Beard's episode. Let's go. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Mind and Body Strong podcast. I am super excited to have a guest with me here today. Her name is Morgan Beard. So hey Morgan, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So excited to have you. And this is so fun because we actually just connected like through a mutual connection. And this is our first time really chatting together. And I already love your energy from us being off mic. And I'm just really excited to share have you share your story about how you're really able to overcome depression and anxiety, how you used, you know, different things to help you through that. You're also a singer songwriter, which I think is really cool. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I had singing talent. So (laughs) if I had one talent, it would be that. So I think that's really neat too, but really just excited to dive in. I, I can already tell like how connected you are and just really excited to hear any advice you have on all your life experience. So I know my, my audience wants to know your story. What's, why are you here? What expertise do you have? Like what life experience have you gone through? And so I'd love to give you the floor to just tell a little bit about your story and how this kind of progressed into what you do now as a creative life coach. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. What a fabulous intro. (laughs) Um, yeah, so I, um, I came to the singer-songwriter piece um, pretty recently. I really only kind of opened myself up to expressing myself that way a couple years ago. Um, I'm 31 now, and I knew that singing was my ultimate passion from like the earliest age, Um, but it took me so long to get back to it because it was something that wasn't really accepted by my parents. Um, it was, I was like kind of 
propped up as like, oh, isn't it so cute when she does this and that and performs when I was really little. And then once I had my own authentic interest in it, it was kind of like, ooh, like now you seem showy, now you're bossy, now you're this and that, and we don't really want to pay attention to that or nurture that. It wasn't really spoken so much, which made it also very complicated to navigate that as a very young person, because it's like, wait a minute, you used to want me to do this and now I, I want it. And now you're saying like, no, it's not acceptable. Um, and the reason that I go into that first is because that experience of kind of being shut down in that way, in that very essential way, um, really defined how the rest of my life was going to unfold. And I say the rest of my life, like I don't have two thirds of it to go. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I started kind of marching down a different path. I was very um, academically inclined. I was like uh, such a A plus goober for, uh, you know, most of my life. And um, marched down that path and kind of achieved as much as I could and, and valued myself based on what, what were my grades? What were these numbers saying about me? What were my teachers saying about me? Because I just, my, I was kind of robbed of my own connection to my own inner validation system as a lot of us are. Um, a lot of us learn to kind of please the adults that our survival depends on at the expense of staying connected to our true selves. And that, you know, that's my story as well. So I kind of, the thing that I knew I wanted to do, I couldn't pursue that. So I went to, okay, what's the next thing? And, you know, kind of did what other people told me they thought I should do. So I um, moved to New York after college for a job in independent film. And then three years into that, I was like, this isn't what I want to do at all. I want to help people and I want to use my creativity, but I don't really know how. Um, then I kind of happened upon art therapy, uh, which is basically psychotherapy plus the creative process. And I uh, went to grad school and got my master's in that. And then five months into working my first job at a big nursing home, I was so, I was burnt out. I, I couldn't, I, I could barely keep from just bursting into tears at my job every day. And I was like, I can't keep helping people with this huge void in me. And I started struggling with uh, depression and thoughts of suicide when I was about 13. And every once in a while, it would kind of rear its head in these big episodes. And this was one of those times where I was just like, I'm at the end of my rope, um, more so than at any point in the past. My, my suicide plan, my thoughts about it kind of advanced to the scariest state that they had been. Um, I will say, I've, I've, if anyone is listening that that is on that path, um, I haven't attempted, um, but you know, pretty pretty. Um, uh, I would say, concerning and serious, but passive suicidal ideation. Um, so at that point, I was like, all right, I've got to start acting and living my life in a way that's for me and not based on what other people think I should do. And listening to the that smallest voice again, the one that was so kind of depressed, um, not just in depression, but, you know, suppressed really by um, my early experiences. And I just thought, you know what, 
I want to be in the sunshine. So I moved to Los Angeles and I had the um, the privilege of of being able to just pick my life up and, and move it across the country. Um, and that was the first time ever I really didn't have a plan at all. I was just like, I'm going to go where there's sun and I'm going to hope that that works. <laughs> hope that something different happens. Um, and it did, you know, I opening up that space of going, I'm not going to follow this prescribed plan. I'm not going to follow someone else's agenda. I'm just going to show up somewhere um, where the culture seems to fit who I am uh, and see what happens. And I ended up uh, getting a job working for a woman who was a business coach for creative female entrepreneurs. And I had not been exposed to the coaching industry previously. So I got to see how that worked and, and benefit from her wisdom and her guidance and expertise and really kind of figured out, oh, if I can get the business end of this to work, I can do this as a living. Mm -hmm. I can kind of combine my personal experience and the things that I've coached myself through, uh, the ways that I give advice and guidance to friends with what I learned about uh, creative self-expression and psychology um, and really combine that and work with others in a way that's really fulfilling for me and really utilizes my whole self. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's what I've been doing. Um, yeah, it's Incredible. been like three or four years now. <laughs> Incredible. Oh my goodness. There's so many little pieces of your story. And I'm like over here, like writing all the notes because there's so many <laughs> moments where I was like, wow, like all of the little progressions. And it's, it's things like going back to that moment of you singing. And I love that you brought up your story mm -hmm. of kind of having this, that wasn't really accepted to be singer songwriter. That was your creative space, something you enjoyed as a kid, but as it came out more fully, it was then slowly, slowly pushed down. And mm -hmm. that little voice inside of you, that inner child that was expressing herself fully was now being taught, oh, this isn't okay. I need to actually do the things that other people want me to do. Mm -hmm. um, you had mentioned that you were, it was kind of not said as well. It's like, oh, you're being showy and bossy, but it wasn't really as vocalized. And I totally mm -hmm. resonate with that because I feel like that was most of my experience growing up. It's like that emotional piece. Like, you know, mm -hmm. that something is maybe like not accepted and you're not really sure why, because you're like, wow, this is me. Why am I not being accepted, especially by the people who love me the most, like my parents? They say they do. Right. They <laughs> say least. they do. And, and I totally believe that they do. And they're just struggling with their own things. And they don't know how to help their kids get through that. So I kind of want to go back to mm -hmm. that, that little you there who was kind of like figuring out like, okay, what do I do from here? Um, and was that also, I'm curious, was that also around the same time you started kind of having ex like depression and anxiety come up for you in your life or was that? Um, you know, I, so I started to get that shut down kind of vibe around maybe age five. Um, I have a lot of, uh, documentation of those early years of my life because my mom was over, always hovering over me with a video camera. It was the early 90s. So, you know, those those big camcorders were like becoming yeah. a thing. She had it on her shoulder. You put the whole VHS in it and all that. And so I have a lot of this documented. And initially it's like she wants me to repeat things back to her and kind of show off that I've memorized X or Y or Z or sing the alphabet or do this or do a dance, laugh, cough, you know, show us something. Um, and then 
the videotapes around age four and beyond start to get thinner and thinner. Um, and then, you know, the, the last couple things are me around five or six. And it's just like her interest isn't there. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of being mocked for my impulse to say, hey, grab the camera. I want to play this guitar song that I'm making up on the spot. And, it, you know, it's like I got the vibe of like, okay, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, hurry up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I started to kind of develop this inner seriousness of like, okay, I'm this creator. I'm going to play my guitar song and I'm, I'm very serious. And I'm sitting there as a, you know, five-year-old taking myself very seriously and then experiencing that being rejected. Yeah. Um, and as a result, I didn't, I didn't take myself seriously as an artist, as a performer. I still have a lot of the remnants of that in the way that I approach it now. Um, even though I am giving myself the chance and getting more visible around this stuff, it's mm -hmm. still with me. I'm still, I still have to really overcorrect actively for that limiting belief that had, you know, kind of been in my tissues for so long. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's often where so many of those stories start, where our creativity as little kids is so, it's so like innate. It's just a part of us, right? Mm -hmm. When you watch little kids, you see how they're experimenting and figuring out their world and learning how to express themselves. And they learn very quickly what's accepted and what's not. And you don't have to say much about it. And I think that's mm -hmm. where it's important to recognize within yourself. So those people out there listening, it might not be something that is like this big trauma, but like, that's a little T trauma that is carried with us. And that carries these patterns that we still have to overcome today. Because like you had mentioned, it's like, it gets written in your tissues. It just becomes mm -hmm. like a part of you until you actually become aware of like, Oh, this is where that started. That's why what I did to protect myself, I became serious. I took myself serious and everything else. And I was, you know, maybe like for myself, I got really judgmental towards myself, mm -hmm. silenced myself um, didn't want to be seen or heard because I didn't want to say right. things wrong. And now as adults, we get to kind of correct that and work our way out of that. So being at that was such a young age, when was it that you kind of started to realize like, okay, some of these patterns have been around a long time and I want to start to kind of find my way out of them. So I, I realized also, I kind of didn't quite address a part of your question, which was like, when did the depression start to surface? Um, and I, it's hard to pinpoint. Um, it, like, I remember being very lonely as a kid. I was an only child. Um, and so I, I started to feel lonely and disconnected pretty young. But when I, the first time I really recognized it as depression and labeled it as that was around 13. Um, and then, you know, it came and went and came and went. Um, and I, as a maybe sophomore, junior uh, in high school, recognized that I wanted to be in therapy. I wanted to, I, I needed some kind of help because I was just performing mm -hmm. like everything was fine and, and overachieving in school. And, you know, from the outside, I have this appearance of everything's great. But on the inside, I was like, there's nothing good going on for me. I don't feel any optimism about my future. I don't care if I have a future or not. Every day is just gray and blends together and I'm just 
working really hard for fucking no reason because yeah. who cares i you know i hated myself i had internalized that self-destructive thing because it's like if i can't be who i initially wanted to be again none of this consciously but yeah. if i can't be who i who i want to be it's like who the fuck can i be and and i don't even like this person um so i i tried to identify to my mom at least that i felt that i was depressed and i wanted to get into therapy and her answer was basically exercise and take vitamins mm -hmm. and so, so i dating uh, yeah and i i mean you know i i know now um i mentioned to you earlier i was a um a volunteer for the suicide crisis line and if if there's a minor who is experiencing suicidal ideation and tries to get help and that help is denied mm. that's like that's a pretty big offense <laughs> for a caregiver um and so uh yeah about maybe senior year of high school i again tried to ask to be in therapy and it was denied mm. um i went to my grandmother actually my mom's mom and and talked to her about my depression and asked for help again because i was like some i need help from somebody somewhere somehow because mm -hmm. um, every minute of every day was just excruciating inside of my body um and she was like i'll get you help we'll, we'll try to find someone whatever whatever and we called my mom and then that was enough to get her to go okay fine i'll get you into something um so i started to see a therapist and then again it was taken away like now nah, that's enough of that because basically I I had this really profound moment with that therapist where I was explaining to her my uh, escape fantasies death fantasies and she was like yeah this is this of course you want to escape because your world is so painful and so confining and you know this is this is just a fantasy you're having and it and it makes sense and she explained the difference between active and passive suicidal ideation and I just had one of those like, oh my God, aha moments that felt like, oh my God, this makes sense, I can breathe. And I was so excited to like report this back to my mom and be like, isn't this great? Like, this all makes sense. My death fantasies make sense. And she was so triggered by mm -hmm. the fact that I was having these thoughts at all. She was, th she threatened to like lock me up and not let me go out and do all this stuff and she like was yelling and screaming at me and to be that's that was the highest point but the most intense example of that but in all these ways from 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 that moment going back earlier i was basically just being punished for having negative emotions yeah. anytime i would cry it was like ah, 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 no mm-hmm and mm -hmm. you you don't know how that affects you you know as a kid when it's happening you're just like well how am i supposed to be then i can't react this way and i can't react this way then you know fuck it all who cares right um but yeah it really it wasn't it wasn't until like much later when i was able to get into therapy more on my own as an adult and, and learning to be a therapist myself that i really gained a more comprehensive understanding of like what was going on here and what was at work continually undermining my own attempts to just to survive and thrive yeah yeah i definitely want to pause there and and thank you so much for for coming back to that that story and really opening up that piece of your journey. And I think that so many people can relate to maybe feeling like 
kind of like trapped in their body of like, oh my goodness, what's going on? I just don't feel good. Something is wrong. And asking for help even, which is such an act of bravery and courage. And then to be denied it, like you said, is like, it's like, man, that is like the worst thing for a caregiver to do. And it's like, you're struggling and asking for help in the best way you know how. And sometimes I think, you know, we're not, we're not taught to express our emotions or even deal with our emotions. So it might even come out from someone as this, um, like anger or like, you know, however Mm -hmm. it might come out. And I think it's so important for us, for all of us to recognize, especially those who identify as parents, um, to be able to recognize what, like what your kids needs (laughs) so you can be able to help them. And so thankfully you had your grandmother there to step in and be like, okay, like, let's, let's get you some help. And you were able to very, very clearly see through this like session with your therapist, like, oh, wow, like I'm validated in this experience of having these fantasies about death and wanting to escape this really painful experience that I have in my body. And this all makes sense to me. Like, of course I want to escape that. And that was kind of like the opening of like, you know, having someone there to validate. Um, Cause I think so many of us, like you had said, like you're punished for your negative emotions. I also experienced that a lot growing up and I didn't realize that at the time, but it felt like I had to walk on eggshells mm-hmm. in order to get through life because yeah. it never seemed like there was a right response to things. It's like, don't be too happy. Don't be too sad. It's like, okay, I'll just numb then. I'll just completely disconnect from my body, which is what I experienced growing up. It's like this disconnect. I, and I even identify with some of the, like, it was very passive, like, well, if I'm just not here, like that would be fine. Mm -hmm. And experiencing that really hard in, in middle school and very hard again, after a really tough breakup two years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a really tough place to be. So as someone who who's been there yourself and who's worked on the suicide hotlines, which I think brings in a whole nother realm of experience. um, What are some of the things that maybe you would say to someone who's maybe experiencing something like this, maybe needs that little word of encouragement, or maybe someone out there who has someone in their life who's experiencing depression, suicidal thoughts, and they're not sure how to help them. Like maybe they're, they know that that person's struggling and they're getting kind of closed out what is it that they can kind of do actively to let that that person know they're there to support them? Yeah. So I think um, showing and not telling is a good overarching framework for how to approach someone who's struggling with this. Um, Show them that you're there by actively listening, not don't be active in a way that is like, you got to do this, you got to do that, and we're going to fix you. Because there's this, there's this implicit sense from the person who is coming to someone for support and then gets met with a, well, you should do this, you should do that, you should do that thing. Um, it feels like they're agreeing that you're broken mm-hmm. and not good enough as you are. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're also kind of accidentally validating that, that your negative emotions aren't acceptable mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, we got to solve them. We got to make them go away because they make me uncomfortable. Yeah. And I don't 
directly. I wouldn't necessarily tell someone who is like a mother that's really struggling with, you know, maybe their daughter is experiencing suicidal ideation and they're so anxious and they're so scared. You know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't say shut the fuck up and listen to them, but shut, shut the fuck up and listen to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can say it indirectly to some extent. Um, because they need to see that you're capable of just being with them. You don't have to do as much as you think you have to do. Just be willing to be brave enough to look at their world with them, to feel their feelings with them, and to be there as a teammate rather than an expert. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the biggest skill um, that is critical for supporting someone who's having suicidal ideation or depression or whatever is being able to just listen, say that sucks, like statements, statements of empathy, reflect back to them what you're hearing from them, and then be willing to be corrected if that's not right, and be patient. It takes so much bravery for that suicidal person to even bother announcing how they're feeling. It might be very hard, and and a lot of people get frustrated when they're met with someone shutting down or not talking to them or trying to shut, you know, trying to shut them out. And it's like, those are walls that make sense. Those are protective defensive mechanisms that make sense because they're so afraid to be a burden. Mm-hmm. Um, they already feel ashamed and isolated and like, mm, what's the point of someone trying to help me? I'm beyond help. Um, and so we put up these walls of like, don't help me. It may show up as anger. It may show up as, uh, disinterest or whatever. If you can just show them that you're still going to be there, be, be as much of a rock as you can in terms of just be there, be still and don't talk. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just meditate on the idea of a rock. <laughs> Love it. And just kind of nod, you know. Um, but it can be really hard because when the person that when the person that you're trying to support is so close to you and and pulls at your emotional strings so much as they do when they're your parent or your sibling or your child or your friend, of course it's hard not to jump in and try to fix it and, and take their feelings away because of course you don't want them to be burdened by those feelings but they're not gonna they're not gonna just you know disappear at the snap of a finger um so you have to kind of do this this dance of like i'm here to support you and i accept you as you are but also trying to the the overall kind of mission is once you listen to them and you you get the um feedback that they understand that you understand and you're with them Mm -hmm. then you can feel around for where does this person have hope where does this person have joy that's Mm -hmm. buried underneath the thoughts of well i'm never going to be happy nothing's ever going to be good it's all shit Mm -hmm. those are their feelings talking Mm -hmm. so it's like is there any bit of space in between this is how I feel and it's all shit. And maybe 
there's something else. Mm -hmm. And the longer term work is getting someone to disidentify with those emotions, meaning recognizing that their feelings and their thoughts are not baked into who they are or who they'll be forever. But when you're in those emotions, it's very hard to separate them. You're going through the script of this is who I'm going to be forever. There's no point because I'm always going to feel like garbage. Um, I still go through all those thought cycles. Mm -hmm. As someone who identifies as someone who has, quote unquote, you know, overcome depression, it's not because I've snapped my fingers and now it's all sunshine and rainbows. Mm -hmm. I'm surviving every day with the ability to recognize that I don't have to subscribe to those thoughts when they come. Mm. Yes. <sighs> wow. I mean, amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I am just over here, like feeling all the emotions, writing all the notes. I'm just like resonating so hard because like what was registering in my body when you were, exp- when you were explaining yeah. how to really help someone through this um, and just being there to listen and show, not tell, Right the anxiety bubbled up in my chest and I felt yes, it good. Because, and I, I was like, Oh wow, there it is. You know, this, and because I, my immediate reaction when I'm fearful because someone else is experiencing that negative emotion is, Oh shit, yeah. let's fix this. And I have to correct that and pull my, and take that step back. And it is so hard, oh, so yeah. hard. So oh, yeah. for those of you out there, you, you know, maybe experiences too, when people bring heavy things to you and you're like, Oh shit, like, what do I do with this? I think you just gave the most like amazing, um, advice of like showing and not telling active listening, um, being able to just really listen to them, repeat back to what, what they said, really be on the same page and really not work to fix them because you're really in, in that moment of trying to fix what you're truly doing is trying to help yourself feel better and not mm-hmm. really showing them empathy. And so being able to be in that place and that could be, you know, that might even take for me, it's taken a lot of my own healing of going to therapy and coaches and counseling to be able to be in that space to be like, okay, I've dealt with some of my stuff. How can I then be this mirror for someone else? Mm-hmm. And it's freaking hard. It's yeah. so hard. <laughs> yeah. So amazing. And the yeah. other piece that you had mentioned is learning how to separate yourself from your feelings and realizing that this is not embedded into who I am. I actually am so much more than my feelings, um, which is so, so important. We, when we're in those emotional experiences, especially of being depressed or upset or angry, um, they can feel like just like they're completely overtaking all of your body and your life. And it can feel yeah. so challenging to see that there is another way. And I think that's something people have to recognize too. And I'd love to hear your experience is that I think with social media and mm-hmm. all of the things with personal development, it can be so easy for people to want to jump to the positive train. And this is something I did. I was like, oh, I'm just going to be all this, you know, positive all the time, shut <laughs> down all the emotions and then realize that wasn't working. <laughs> that's actually not working at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so being able to find this area of almost neutral is something that I've found has been a little bit more helpful of like taking those baby steps to start to see like, okay, am I open to seeing that there's another way to experience this? Am I open to thinking about this in a different way? And when you approach it from that way, it allows you to 
Like our brains are like Google search engines. They're going to find some answers for you. So if we ask, start asking the right questions, they're going to bring up some, some creative solutions. So um, I would love to hear your experience yeah. with, with that as far as like feeling those really deep, dark motions and, and have you experienced jumping to the other side of trying to get to that positive and like, where is that middle? Yeah. Um, I'm going to answer that, but I do also want to put one other button on the, um, the last thing that we talked about, about the third party stuff yeah. dealing when you're dealing with someone who is struggling, the most important thing that I would convey to someone on the phone stressed about someone they were trying to help is that whatever they do or don't do, do not take it personally. Mm -hmm. Like there is a limit to what you can do to help them. If they're going to make a decision, if they're going to decide to hurt themselves or end their lives, that is not your responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's right. so key. And there is a limit to how much you can try to help someone. Yeah. Um, so I, that's a super important point. I don't want to leave that last topic yeah. behind without making. No, thank you so much for, for that. Cause I think it can, and myself and I'm sure my audience, especially are very people who really care about others and, and try their yeah. best to be empathetic and can take those things super personally. And so that reminder is, is so important. So thank you. Yeah. Um, okay. So dealing with the super deep, dark emotions, how do we separate ourselves from them? Um, I, I I mentioned to you right before we started talking that I just went through a breakup, like literally in the last 24 hours. And I was going through all my deep, dark feels last night. And what helped me the most, uh, two things. First, writing shit down, just journaling, dumping, getting everything I could think and feel on the page. Um, that is probably like the number one thing that you can do. Um, you know, I don't care if it's an iPhone note, I don't care if it's a Word document, I don't care if it's a piece of paper, I don't care if it's a napkin, get something out. Um, because anytime that you're doing that, um, you're putting, you're, you're giving yourself a head start on developing that perspective shift of like, these are things that can be outside of me that I can look at objectively. And if you're just going around and around and around in your own head without extracting it somehow or expressing it without externalizing it, you're just going to keep internalizing it and letting it stew and simmer and bubble in yourself. Mm -hmm. Now, again, it's not a finger snap. It's not like you write it all down and you're like, I'm free. <laughs> um, <laughs> I only wish. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. We wouldn't we wouldn't be here. We'd be done. You don't need a podcast. I don't need right. to coach anyone. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> Um, but it starts to activate that process of like, I'm not my thoughts because here they are on paper and I'm the reader of what I've written or I'm the thinker of these things, but I'm not this thing. Um, and that also leads me into the second thing, which is mindfulness. Um, mindfulness and meditation are things that, I mean, it's like, Nobody wants to actually sit down and do it and and try to observe their thoughts for a concrete period of time and silence. But without a doubt, it is one of the most powerful tools that we have for learning to tolerate our most difficult emotions, for teaching ourselves that whatever we're thinking or feeling, we can reconnect to our bodies and realize 
I can survive this no matter how gut-wrenching it feels, Um, no matter how chaotic we feel on the inside. It's like, okay, I'm sitting on the ground. My feet are planted. The earth isn't going to just crumble underneath me, even though that's how it feels. Mm -hmm. And so learning to have that relationship with your emotions where they become tolerable is a huge threshold of growth. Mm -hmm. Um, Because then you develop that internal confidence and trust that whatever happens inside of me, I can survive. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we feel totally depressed, uh, totally anxious, you know, overwhelmed by anger, whatever, whatever the emotion is, it's like having some sort of rock. Again, this is why this is why when someone's experiencing really difficult emotions, it's important to be that sense of groundedness and stability for them and to to just be there to bump up against. Um, so being able to cultivate that within yourself, it's almost like you have two different parts of you that you're observing uh, at the same time that's that's where you start to um get get a handle on the something that otherwise feels so chaotic so ungrounding um and so out of control Mm -hmm. um the positive psychology stuff um (laughs) so (laughs) i love um, that you also laughed and rolled your eyes when i was talking about that oh my god man but i think back to that time in my life i was just like wow what was i thinking (laughs) well it comes from a good place but again it's that fixer mentality it's that that you're not allowed to be how you are yeah we want you to fit into this other box that that's more comfortable yeah i think the number one thought that came up for me is like something's wrong like whenever you're feeling any negative emotion something's wrong something's wrong yeah and it's like okay maybe you can try to reframe that as like this feels uncomfortable yeah but our emotions are just signals but when we keep suppressing those signals they grow and they fester and our emotions evolved for very specific reasons even the suckiest shittiest ones mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know jealousy anger sadness whatever they're there for an important reason and they tell us something like anger tells us when someone's crossed a boundary sadness tells us when we need to let go of something mm-hmm. and those are really important signals to get and and we can read them and use them to create lives where we're just kind of flowing more easily but not if we think we're not allowed to have them. Mm-hmm. Um, when we think that, oh, my experience would be better without these. It's like, then then you create that idea that something's wrong, I'm wrong. And yeah. it feeds into that, that fundamental inner child belief that I'm bad, I'm doing something wrong, I'm not worthy of this, you know, it, that we all have this kind of fundamental badness, this like original sin, if especially, you know, especially if you're a Christian or a Catholic, you got that baked right into you that I was born fucked. Yeah. And that's, and then everything we do gets seen through that lens. And it's like, how can I, how can I keep making that true? Like on an unconscious level, we're trying to yeah. make that true. Right. Um, we immediately learn to like externalize those things and be like, oh, well, something's wrong. Like with my clients, it's like my body is wrong. Mm-hmm. And we learn that like, okay, this must be the problem. Um, or 
my emotions must be the problem or my career or this relationship. And we're always kind of in this victim state of like blaming something Mm. outside of us when really it's like, like you said, our emotions are there to, to really teach us. And when we can actually learn to sit with them through practices like meditation and mindfulness and grounding and in realizing, like, like you had said, how this helps to build the internal trust and confidence with yourself so that you realize I can survive this experience. Like this sucks, but I can experience this. And when you're, when you actually allow yourself to experience those really heavy things, like, wow, you become super powerful when you're able to be with yourself in those experiences instead of running and hiding. Yeah. And so to go back to the, the, the forced positive thing, I heard somewhere that it's like, when you're feeling sad, it feels good to put on a sad song because like, okay, so if you think about it, like, all right, I'm sad. So I'm going to go put on like skip and just be reminded <laughs> that I feel different from that. Yeah. And it makes you feel wrong and disconnected. Mm-hmm. But when you put on a sad song and you're like, somebody knows what I'm feeling, mm-hmm. you get that moment of connection, validation, understanding um, that then frees you up to shift your emotional state. But if you try to just like force yourself into a happy thing, you just get that reminder that I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it can be really harmful. I mean, the I have such a mi- such mixed feelings about like gratitude practice, mm-hmm. um, and I don't f- hear a lot of people talking about this. So I really want to like make this point right now. <laughs> you asked me earlier like what's on my heart to talk about, and right now I'm like I'm I'm gonna say this. Um, so growing up for me, like we talked about, my emotional needs were like so unmet. But my material needs, my physical needs, always met. Mm -hmm. And so the adage that kept getting put in front of me was like, well, at least you're not being physically abused or like you should feel grateful for what, you know, what, what you have, what you have, where you are, whatever, whatever. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. so not only does this feel terrible, but I'm supposed to be excited about it. Like, I'm supposed to be pumped about this like emotional shit sandwich you're force feeding me. (laughs) And so again, it like it it miscalibrates our meter of like, when is something wrong? When does something feel bad or wrong? And and we try to talk ourselves out of it and and like, I guess I'm okay because, well, at least I'm not getting beaten up or at least I'm eating or have a bed to sleep in. and you know, these days, a lot of us have our basic needs met, um, but then these emotional needs get missed and then become part of the the reason we think we're not supposed to feel how we're feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so gratitude being kind of forced down my throat like that has made me very reactive to when people say, okay, make a list of the things you're grateful for. And that is great because it puts your brain in a state that is really healthy mm-hmm. um and it reminds us to to think about not the things that are going wrong but the things that are going right which mm-hmm. is an amazing practice and counteracts the negativity bias that we've evolved to have but like whew, sometimes to me it does feel like i'm having to switch gears in this very forced way that points out where i'm not aligned 
with positivity? Ooh, I love this topic because I do this too. And it's, I'm so, I just love the way that you were able to vocalize that because I'm sure so many people feel that. And and even in my coaching sessions with my coach, I like, I will vocalize things that are, are hard in my life. And I'm like, okay, but I'm probably just privileged and I should be grateful and blah, blah, blah. And luckily I have amazing mentors in my life that are like, yeah. And it's still okay to like feel sucky in your experience. Yes. And then I just like cry because I'm like, yeah, let's feel like shit. And I hate this right now. And I don't want to be here. And I just want to get yeah. past this, you know? And then it's like, wow, someone actually saw through me trying to cover up something that was really hard because that's what I've been taught to do my whole life. And what so many of us have been taught to do is just cover it up, be grateful. And yeah, those are great practices. But when you feel like shit, like, like you said, it's just creating that, that polarization of like, okay, now I just feel more like shit because now I'm not over here. (laughs) Right. Right. I'm so glad that you vocalized that and, um, yeah, just validating your experience regardless of what it is. Yeah. It's, you know, you might, it might not be what someone else is experiencing, but it's still valid and it's still important for you to address that. And even if it's something that maybe in your mind, you're like, oh, this is a privileged problem to have. Like if it's still hard, you need to address that instead of just writing it off as something you shouldn't feel bad about because someone else is struggling way worse. That's not, not the way that we actually get more in tune with ourselves and our emotions. That's actually really, it kind of forces this almost mistrust with ourselves because it's like, okay, I'm sending you these signals, but like my body's sending me these signals and my mind is like crowded with all these expectations and beliefs that are saying, oh no, like we can't have that experience. Like, let's just push that out, but it doesn't actually go away. It just gets stored somewhere else to come out later, sometimes way worse. And Mm -hmm. so relearning how to get intimate with those feelings. That's something that was foreign to me about two and two ish, two and a half years ago before I was like, what am I feeling? I don't know. Like it was very basic what I knew how to to describe. I was like, I feel bad. I feel good. I really couldn't tell the difference between what I was feeling. I just didn't have the vocabulary or the awareness for it because I had been so used to being disconnected. And I would actually, when I would, my coach would ask me, I would just look up and she's like, I see you thinking about your feelings, but your feelings are in your body. You need to drop down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> now I know how I feel scared. <laughs> scared. <laughs> and I think yeah, that's a great, because, I'm glad um, she responded I, that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm so glad. I'm very thankful for the mentors that I've had um, to be like, hey, you know, let's let's drop down. Let me give you this safe space to actually figure out what you're feeling and to thrash mm-hmm. around kind of in your experience um, and provide that like rock experience of like you can be this wave of like emotions of like trying to figure it out. And I'm just going to be here witnessing it. I'm not experiencing yeah. anything, just kind of riding out the waves with you and just yeah. being like, hey, I and I actually had, this wasn't even with a coach. It was a, an ex-boyfriend when a really great experience, when you brought up the rock reference, it made me think mm-hmm. of that because mm-hmm. I was like super emotional about something and I'm like mad at him for whatever, something he said, or, and I just took it wrong. And I took it really personally. And I'm like yelling and screaming and he's trying to comfort me. And I'm like, don't touch me. Um, and he had the best, ex- he actually had the best reaction. So shout out to him for that because he just <laughs> sat there and he didn't say anything. And he let me cry and he let me say whatever I wanted to say. 
And then I was done crying and I looked over at him and he said, you know, can I hold your hand? And at that point I was better. And like, that was it. Like he just let me thrash around in my experience and have it. Mm -hmm. And, and then just sat with me. And I was like, holy shit, no one's ever done that for me before. Like, and you didn't run away. Whoa. You know, right. Cause my, like my experience from my parents was like, oh shit, let's fix this. Run away from that. You're, you shouldn't be feeling that. And so mm-hmm. I'm so glad we're having this conversation because this is such a great way to, this is going to be coming out kind of mid January. And I think it's perfect for people to really allow that their experience. Um, like we have been through yeah. so much these last couple of years mm-hmm. and gosh, darn it. Like we need to start validating our experiences and starting to, to heal. And, um, I know that you offer some coaching services. So tell us a little bit about what you do with your clients as a creative life coach. I love that title by the yeah. way. Oh, thank you so much. I was like trying to figure out how do I, how do I say something additional about what I do in the title that lets people know a little bit hints at, you know, what is my experience and what is my approach? Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, I have to be very clear. It's not therapy. It's not art therapy. Yes, that was my training, but now I'm repurposing it within, you know, a broader sense of like how I show up. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I, um, one of the biggest things that I learned from my training was uh, a very like client-centric approach, which is staying with them, meeting them as they are, um, and working creatively and flexibly in the moment to come up with, okay, what's a creative exercise that they can do to access something new or express something that might be challenging to do so verbally. Um, I, so I have, it, but it go, it varies so much client to client. Like a lot of my clients are creatives. Um, you know, so I really encourage them to use the existing art forms they have. I have a young female client who, uh, loves painting. So I have her paint and that excites her and, and, you know, gets her, um, speaking a different language. Um, I had a client not long ago who was a poet. Um, you know, so, so writing is, is obviously something that, you know, is, is close to her heart and allowed her to express herself in a way that, um, was true to her essence. Um, I also do a lot of guided meditation and visualization with my clients because I've always been a proponent of talk therapy. I'm in talk therapy. I love it. Talking is great. Asking penetrating questions is great. But I do think it kind of misleads us sometimes because we're not dropping down. We're thinking, we're in our head, we're in our verbal um, mechanisms. And so I start with getting them to relax, focusing on their breathing, focusing on how do their feet feel on the floor, whatever, whatever. And then I just ask, you know, what, what's arising in your body? And, you know, often the centers of what ha- comes up are, you know, I feel uh, a clenching in my jaw or a lump in my throat. I feel uh, a nervousness in my stomach or a nausea in my stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, those are some pretty uh, common places that people kind of, we focus and we go in and I, I get them to think visually about um, what's going on there. 
And that also helps with making it more objective and, and disconnecting, I am this thing. It's like, I'm the observer of this thing. So I had a, a client recently, to go back to the rock metaphor, um, she was describing a lump in her throat and it was like, okay, what color is that lump? How big is it? Could you hold it in your hand? Like just tr initially it's like, I feel fine. And then, you know, you did that same thing you're talking about. Good, bad, fine. All right. We got to get a little more specific there. Okay. What, you know, okay. The rock is gray. It feels really dense. It feels heavy. Okay. Let's sit with it for a little bit. Let's see. And actually dialogue with those sensations. What are you here to tell me? What, what do you need? Um, and then gently and patiently allow the space for those answers to arise. And people always, once they let themselves let go of whatever the thinking conscious mind is telling you, like, this is stupid, you're not feeling anything, whatever, whatever, mm. um, they get to this real amazing, intuitive, descriptive wisdom about, okay, what does that rock need? Mm -hmm. uh, it needs... It needs me to just be here with it, patient, and let it leave of its own accord yeah. rather than trying to force it away or do this or do that. Um, and it's like, I didn't come up with that. Like, she just knew. Yeah. So yeah. it's a lot of times it's about being quiet enough for those answers to just arise. Um, and I think the creative piece is, is a lot of times like using visual language, using descriptive language, making it a really clear, really sticky kind of uh, tangible image mm -hmm. so that you can then use that in your vocabulary the next time that comes up. Oh, I know what this is. I already prescribed how I'm going to deal with it. Mm -hmm. um, and that self-trust thing mm -hmm. rather than, oh my God, there's this lump in my throat. It's a rock. It's never going to go away. Um, and just kind of hitting that wall. Yeah. Um, I love that. I love that you yeah. both like the, the mind, the mind piece of it, of talk therapy, talking it out, but also including that, that body piece. Cause like you had mentioned with your, with some of your clients, it's like, okay, I didn't have to give them any guidance. They actually already knew they knew they just needed to be provided a safe space in order to just explore that again, because it was once maybe not safe for them to do that. And I love that. I love that it's, you know, it's very clear that you've pulled all your life experiences into being able to serve clients in this way and bring this compassionate lens because you've been in the, in their place and you know what that feels like and how to support them in that way. So who are the clients that you mostly work with? Do you have any programs? How do you help people? How can people come find you? Yeah. So I actually have a pretty diverse array of clients. I work with some like parents and adult children, some teenagers, some folks that are middle-aged. Um, it's, it's really like who, who really resonates with the things I'm talking about. Maybe a, a lot of times creative people resonate with it. A lot of times people who have experienced the depression and the anxiety I describe, you know, resonate with it. And anyone who just kind of has a has a part of them a whisper an intuitive hit that just makes them a little curious or a little bit ignited by what i'm saying it's like okay so follow that you know there's a part of you that there's a part of you that 
I'm speaking to that might not be the dominant part of you, but might be a part of you that needs a little bit of freedom and validation. It's like, that's the person who I want to work with. You know, it's not really necessarily an exact age, an exact goal. Um, someone who just, you know, resonates to some extent with what I'm saying. And I, that, that happens to me a lot. You know, someone will say yeah. like, Hey, just something spoke to me. And so it's like, if that's you right now, please reach out, find out more. There's no risk or whatever. I always talk to people for, you know, 20 to 30 minutes, kind of figure out, okay, what's their situation, feel out the vibe, feel out the relationship um, before figuring out, okay, what's the right kind of plan forward for you with me or without me. Um, I, I generally work individually with clients. I love that kind of focused, like one-on-one -on -one stuff. Um, I am playing around with and have done in the past group things, but that's not typically how I work. Um, and if you are interested in learning more about what I do, setting up a consult call with me, just, you know, connecting in any way, please go to my website, which is morganbeard.coach um, mm -hmm. and write me, let me know a little bit about you uh, and I'll figure out how I can help you. I pretty much I build plans for my clients based on what can they afford financially, mm -hmm. energetically, in terms of their schedule. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard enough to like get past initial internal resistance. So mm -hmm. I don't wanna create any more external resistance. You tell me what works for you and I'll tell you kind of, you know, what's the frequency, what's the duration, how often can we meet, what can we do? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I would say listen to and nurture those little little voices, those little whispers, because um, that that thing that you have inside of yourself, that's what's going to lead you where you need to go. So amazing! I have just enjoyed this conversation so much, so much, Morgan. And yeah, me too. I am definitely going to go back and listen to it again because it was so <laughs> incredible. So for those of you listening, I hope that you do the same. I hope you took lots of notes like I did and we will have all of Morgan's information linked up in the description of this episode. And one last curiosity before we end, I know that you, we had started off your story of the singer songwriter yeah. and of having that be suppressed. Are you currently making music? Is that a part of your life now? Yes. So I am actually um, in the process of working toward my debut EP, which is going to release, uh, yes, this year, finally, the dates are set. My debut single is going to drop on uh, March 18th. Um, so the EP is called Elemental, and there's four songs, Fire, Water, Earth, and Air. And each one is basically um, sort of a part or a chapter or a season of the emotional journey that we all pass through and going through personal transformation um, using those the metaphor of those natural elements, um, but in like a pop structure and uh, really just trying to kind of co-opt the lessons and the energies that come from each of those elements for how can we describe our experience? Like water is about uh, letting yourself cry, letting yourself have difficult emotions. Um, 
and I'm going to be releasing a visual EP with it. So it's they're all going to have music videos and tie into one another. And I am so, so excited to be able to put that music out there and, and have people connect um, with, you know, what is sort of the um, end result of a lot of this life experience that I've been describing. Um, oh, that's incredible. I am like yeah. over here getting goosebumps because I'm excited. So you said it's March <laughs> what day? Yeah, March 18th is when Fire comes out, the debut uh, single. And my artist name is Muni, M-U-U-N-I-E, which is actually my childhood nickname from when my mom was making those tapes of me. I was calling myself Muni. It was before I could say Morgan. Um, And the whole idea is like I'm reclaiming that young self and celebrating and lifting up that inner child as this evolving woman. Oh my gosh. I love that. And that, so that will be able to be, um, found on like Spotify and platforms like yes. that. Okay. Yes. So Perfect. my website, which you can go to now and sign up to hear about it when it drops is I A M M U U N I E.com. And that's also right. all my social media. I am money. I am M U U N I E. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. We'll have all of this linked as well as the Perfect. drop of your, um, your album, which is so exciting. Congratulations. Thank I'm you. excited to hear that and to, um, and I just, yeah, I'm so pumped. So thank you so thank much, you. so much for all of your time. I know that so many people are going to walk away feeling heard and understood and just empowered from this conversation. So thank you. Awesome. Really my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening in to this week's episode of the Mind and Body Strong podcast. If you loved this episode, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could leave a five-star rating and review or share a screenshot of the episode on your social media platforms. This helps even more women be able to find the podcast and move towards their own personal transformation. Or come on over to Instagram and send me a DM. Let me know what you thought of the episode or let me know about future topics you'd love to hear here on the podcast. Sending love to you no matter where you're at in the world, my friends. Until next week, take care.